Next up on the Renaissance Man podcast, we have comedian and daily show correspondent, Roy Wood Jr. Coming up, I'll talk to Roy about how he figured out he was funny when he was a kid playing sports, which comedians inspired his own style, and how he feels about possibly being asked to take over Trevor Noah's hosting duties on The Daily Show. Up next, Roy Wood Jr. Let's go. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the new York Post. A show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, your co-workers, your mate, your kids. Share it with anyone that you just know can use some of this good old-fashioned soul food. This week's theme is find your voice. When there's so much noise out in the world, it's easy to think you have to try and be like everyone else. But I'm here to give you a reminder that you need to find your own voice and form your own opinions based on, guess what? How you feel. Don't just be another echo chamber. Personally, I ended up making a career in multimedia and fortunate enough to talk about my perspectives on everything I'm passionate about. Politics, education, sports, fashion, music, and more. But you can also use your voice to stand up for a cause that you're passionate about and believe in. So here's what you should do. Write a column about something you feel strongly about. Put it in a journal. Put it on social media. Read it out loud to family and friends. And you can use that to become a leader in your community. Start by talking openly about the things you love and are passionate about. And trust me, your voice will follow. My next guest is someone who finds humor in just about everything. And he's made his voice heard everywhere from the comedy stage to the podium at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. He's a comedian, radio personality, actor, podcaster, and writer who is standing by his colleagues in the entertainment industry who are currently on strike. He's taking his humor on the road this summer with his Happy to Be Here comedy tour. Coming up, I'll talk to Roy about how important it is for him to give back to his home state of Alabama. What to expect when you attend one of his shows on tour and which jokes didn't make it to the set of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Up next, Roy Wood 
tune. It is my honor to welcome the hilarious Wood mm. Jr. to the show. What up, my brother? Man, you see I wore a tuxedo jacket for your ass today. <laughs> Some folks listening, they can't see this. But yeah, I was like, I'm with Jalen Rose. Let me put on a tuxedo jacket for no reason in my house. <laughs> I appreciate that, family. Now, you ain't get the button down. You still got a cheap-ass Hanes V-neck underneath it. <laughs> To put a jacket on. I want to look good for the thumbnail. You know, the thumbnail photo, that's where you're ugly or not. No doubt. The thumbnail photo is important. I appreciate <laughs> it. But that blazer is. Why? Man, appreciate it, man. Thank you for letting me chop it up with you, man. I feel like every time I see you, it's in passing on the way to something else or doing something else. I saw you backstage at Charlemagne's show oh. um, a couple of months ago. And then before that, I think it was Christmas Day, Stephen A's situation on ESPN but my segment was rapping as your segment was starting and you know ESPN they'd be like thank you very much we appreciate you being here and get your ass on up out of here no doubt I say it with love I get it man they'd be trying to keep things moving man it's one of those person to watch no doubt no doubt and 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 you a mover and shaker my brother you doing your thing congratulations and I want to take it back to childhood if that's cool Tell yeah. me what Birmingham means to you and what was your childhood like there? Man, Birmingham, that's that's the crib, bro. That's love. Like that, I still truly believe that at some point I will be back in Birmingham. Like I like New York, all of this is temporary. I'm happy to be here, I'm happy to be working, et cetera, et cetera. But coming back home and helping wherever I can. To me, that's that's the real worth of a man. Like I remember growing up with my pops, you know, my father was a radio journalist and he did a lot of dope stuff in the civil rights movement. You know, he and he fought for black equality through his radio show. And so he was highly respected in the community. And to me, there's something there's something of worked with that when you're wanting to go back and pour back into the people that helped make you. And to me, that's the be all end up. Like when I was guest hosting on the daily show, they gave us three slots to shout out charities. Two of mine were Alabama based just because if I'm not trying to help the crib, who going to help us? Exactly. Cause Alabama, you know, Goody mob has this line from an old song. They call it the parts. They disregard the South, you know? Mm-hmm. And to me, Alabama is a is a big part of part of that because a, a lot of people who's that's not from Alabama, you got a perception of the city a certain way. So if people from the crib don't do things to pour back into the crib to help the crib, then you know what are you doing, man? And for those who never been to Alabama, give us a snapshot of your childhood. You're educated. You graduated from college. Graduated from. Uh, Florida A&M but yeah. tell me what it was like for you like growing up elementary school years high school years oh bro so for me my childhood was pretty chill bro we moved to Birmingham when I was in the third grade from Memphis and so I essentially I was never in the same school district I was never in the same school for more than two years until high school mm. 
So from third grade to eighth grade, I'm hopscotching all over the city. But because I'm not going to school in my zone, I don't know anybody in my neighborhood. So the neighborhood kind of became this bit of an alien place to start. And then my mama got me a basketball goal, bro. Mm. And you a hooper, so you you know what I'm saying makes sense. There was always one house in the neighborhood that had the good goal. <laughs> Plexiglass, breakaway rim. We had a two-car garage, which meant we could run damn near half court in our in our in our um in our driveway and and the 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 driveway was shaded so in that bama heat i I just it was the spot so the neighborhood came to me and i don't know if my mom did that you know on purpose to keep me close to the house i feel like she did but that ultimately helped me meet everybody in the neighborhood and it kept me out of trouble because i knew every terrible person in the neighborhood because they came to hoop so when I'm out walking around in the hood, it, that that basketball goal was just enough to give me a pass. No doubt. You know, I, I ain't going to steal <laughs> your shoes, but you know what? I'm going to take your tater chips. Right. I ain't going to take your money, but I am going to take these chips. <laughs> like, that's a good day walking right. home. No doubt. So, so, you know, public school, man, my mom, I was a latchkey kid. I grew up an only child. I got a bunch of half siblings, but, you know. I came home, I watched the Cubs, I watched the Disney afternoon, and then I go outside and play. That was that was my situation. But, you know, my father worked pretty much mornings and nights doing radio. My mother worked all day and then went to school at night. I really didn't see, like, the three of us were never in the house at the same time other than Sunday mornings. Right. And that's breakfast, you know, so it was very much a transient home. Everybody had an agenda. Everybody had something they had to do. And, you know, I started working in middle school because I wanted Nintendo tapes and I wanted, you know, I wanted, you know, the, the nice shoes. I wanted some Ken Griffey's, you know, so it was, it was, I had more fun being out and about outside the house than, than in the house. And I'm glad you brought up Nintendo because you try to play the game. You got to blow in the cartridge for 30 minutes or an hour sometimes. Yeah. Even work. <laughs> you try to put a cartridge on top of a cartridge to finally get it to work. You remember but that? Man, if you got it to work, boy, you was happy for three <laughs> hours. You play that tape till it melt. You pull that Tecmo Bowl out, that thing be sizzling in your hand. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Who yeah. were some of the entertainers and comedians that you admired when you were a kid? George Wallace and Sinbad, mm. those two off the rip. Also, uh, Rondell Sheridan. And Rondell Sheridan, in my opinion, doesn't get, I don't feel like he gets the glory he deserves. I know I know for a while he was over at Disney. I think he was on That's So Raven um, as the father over there. And that's a different world from an exposure standpoint for a comedian. It's still a successful living. But those three, those three black men, Number one, they were clean, so I was allowed to watch them. Mm. Like that was the issue. Like I couldn't watch. Like, like my dad had Red Fox, you know, vinyls and all of that, and I was sneaking listen to them. But my mom would find them and just hide them. You know, God bless her for not throwing them away. But I just remember seeing Sinbad, son of a preacher man, and this is before I'd even thought about stand up. And it's just, it's, 
it still stands up. Joke for joke, mm-hmm. it still stands up. Then when we got cable in all the rooms in the house, this was the game changer. So the young people will never remember this. But once a year, HBO would do a free preview weekend where they just gave the entire country HBO. Everybody had HBO for free for three days. And in them three days, they would play nothing but the hits, all the best stuff. And, bro, they had a George Carlin one one year. And then another year, it was a Martin Lawrence. Then Def Jam. I messed around, saw an episode of Def Jam doing an HBO free preview year, one year. And I was off to the races. I was just in love with comedy and making people laugh. Now, where we are different, you and me, uh, I was a bench warmer growing up (laughs) in baseball. And... And you know the role of bench warmer. You're essentially team psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what you are. Your job is to just motivate the good players. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just, low key. That's part yeah. of your responsibilities is to keep things light. So I took pride in writing heckles for the other team. You know when I was. When I played soccer in middle school, I was the goalie. I would roast whoever was getting the ball. I would call out the passes before, like as the team was attacking, he about to pass it in and just, just stuff I wouldn't even repeat today. But in 1988 Alabama, it was, it was, it was all in the game. So when I, when I got to high school, if I could heckle the other team and make the umpire laugh, that was the goal. The goal every day was how do I get this grown man to laugh at 14 year olds that are just yelling vile stuff at each other. And you could get the parents to laugh. Like to me, that was like the first taste of performance. Mm. Cause I would like, we were prepared like, man, I wish I had Facebook in 95. No doubt. To just scout who I'm going to be heckling today. Oh my Lord. <laughs> oh my Lord. But we would, we would get like if it was a home game, nine times out of ten, we would beat the team to the field because we had activity period. So we was already at the field an hour or two before before game time. So I'm I'm peeping what car is your mama dropping you off in? <laughs> and then I'm on you. I'm on you about that raggedy Nissan Maxima. <laughs> While you're on the field, and like if I can get into your head, then no, I've I've succeeded. I've succeeded, and so Absolutely. you know that's where the the thirst to make strangers laugh probably originated for sure with sports. And as you continue to progress, you've created two comedy stand-up classics. No one loves you. Imperfect messenger. Congratulations, man! Thank you, man. Like that was that was that was a struggle. There was a third one too, father figure, but that one came out way before. But it's been, it's just been, it's been a blessing to go from sleeping in a bus station, <laughs> you know, to roasting the president at the correspondence dinner with my mother in attendance. That's. Incredible. And Which I know you're crazy proud of you. 
I know. She, <laughs> what was that like? Like you hosted the White House Correspondents Dinner and you killed it. But I got to ask you, were there any jokes you were nervous about? The whole Kamala run, I was nervous about because I wasn't sure if people would understand what I was trying to say. Because like people, people like y'all, like y'all be talking to comedians about cancel culture. I'm not worried about someone not liking a joke. I'm more worried about a joke being misunderstood. That's my bigger fear is that people will take a joke and shape it into whatever narrative they want it to fit for whatever it is they believe in. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And like, that's the thing where I'm like, okay, I gotta go at Kamala. She's up here. She's the <laughs> vice president and I can't, like, as it, like, I wouldn't be able to go back to the comedy cellar in New York and look other comedians in the eye mm-hmm. if, if I didn't, you know, honor the craft. No doubt. You know, I'm a comedian first. Uh, but to me, the, the whole point of what I was trying to do was acknowledge the things that people already say about you. Mm-hmm. People constantly ask, what does Kamala do? Or she ain't doing nothing. So we have to start there. And my, but my comedic style, I like to start at an edge and make it feel like the wrong thing is going to be said. And then hopefully change the perspective, you know, rotate the topic in a way where you see it from a different way. Right. So then you start talking about the stuff that she has done. And it's all factual stuff that you can go research and see that she did while she was in office and then turn around and give Joe Biden all the credit for it. And ultimately, it's just using the conversation around Kamala as a conversation about the erasure of the contributions of women in the workplace. That's all the joke is about. But if I mess up one comma, or one semicolon, somebody going to turn around and go, oh, well, um, well, well, you know, uh, he attacked Kamala. He went in on Kamala. And it's like, no, that's not. And, and you know, we live in a world where people only read the headlines. Right. They don't deal in nuance. So that'll be the narrative on me. And, I, and that I didn't want for myself. So I was I was really scared about that joke. But everything else, I was like, man, it's whatever. I'm going to say this about Clarence Thomas. I'm going to say this about school shooting. The school shooting joke, I knew would get her grown. It's supposed to. Mm-hmm. it's school shootings. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to laugh at it. And like, that was the whole point of the bit in a sense. So I just think as a comedian, man, you got to go up there and say what you want to say and then leave the rest of it to the audience. Right. It's not my fault. If you take this a certain way or you feel a certain way, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to apologize. You know, the, the one thing we did do uh, myself and my writers we left out, we had jokes about Nikki Haley and we had jokes about uh, Diane Feinstein and everything that's been going on, you know, with, with at the time her absence um, from, you know, being in the building. And the more we thought about the material, it just all seemed like jokes where if I do it wrong, the headline tomorrow will be I attacked women. Right. No matter how fair. Now, Joe Biden did a Nikki Haley joke. No, he did a Marjorie Taylor Greene joke. So Joe Biden can do that because he's in that fraternity. He's in that group. He can attack one of his own. But I'm looked at as an outsider. And it's just for everything that I wanted to say, all the points that I wanted to make. 
I did not want the conversation the next day to be about one joke that everybody chose to misunderstand. And, and that, was really no. that was really smart because you were trending the entire time. I'm pretty sure you know. I must ask you this also because you're crushing it on The Daily Show. Congratulations. But you knew Trevor Noah was leaving long before he did because he stopped cutting his hair. Yeah. But I did know you ever foresee guest hosting? No. No, I did not see that. You know, I said it jokingly, but I really do believe that. I we need really that believe to happen. We need that I, to happen. And what would that mean for you? If I had an opportunity to host a daily show, you know, that would be a wonderful thing to be able to be in a chair four nights a week and spit something real about what's happening in this country. Um, I don't know which way any of that's going to go. You know, talks are pretty much dead because of the writer strike. So nothing's happening right now. But I do think that there has to remain a place in late night to hold people in power accountable. You know, I don't know how the strike is going to affect the economics of the television industry. I do think it's going to contract a little more. Um, but even within that fiscal contraction, I still think that there has to be space for people to say what the hell is going on, you know, and I hope it's the daily show. And if not, I hope there's other networks that have cameras and microphones that are interested <laughs> in working with me. Um, but yeah, you know, when, when Trevor stepped down though, I think the thing that it's kind of one of those, be careful what you wish for situations too. It's a stressful job. It's not easy. And there are a lot of days as hosts, I, I got it easy as a correspondent, bro. I show up for the jokes. Y'all ain't got no jokes to tell. All right, I'm gone. <laughs> but as a host, when you show up, you have to show up for the truth. And so, you know, like like a great example would be the week that D.L. Hughley guest hosted. On that Monday of his week, the Tyree Nichols video came out from what the Memphis Police Department did to that brother. There ain't no jokes. There's a couple, but there ain't what DL normally does or would do as a host. You're a little restricted in that regard, and you got to kind of play a different type of offense that day. And so, you know, DL is the perfect person for that week. But my point is, is that when you keep taking in everything bad, it takes a toll after a while. You know, I, I've said it jokingly, but the day after Trevor's last day at the Daily Show, and you can check this on his Instagram, the day after he had cornrows and he was white water rafting. <laughs> wow. That's wow. how stressful this job That's is. Right. You go, I need to go down a river right. and feel joy again. Mm -hmm. And so that part of it is just, you know, stepping into, you know, any job where you're talking about the wrongs of the world, just know that the host consumed twice as much as what they're saying to you. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the toughest part of the Daily Show gig to me is the DMs from people dealing with stuff where they're from and wanting us to talk about it and wanting us to, hey, man, I don't know if you heard about this horrible thing. Here's the footage. Here's everything that's happening. And me just sitting there and just going, wow, like, I wish that I had more bandwidth because as a correspondent, some of that stuff I just can't touch. A lot of it's not funny at all. Mm -hmm. Like there ain't a syllable of funny in it. But 
as a host, you have to consume that to know what you can make funny and what you can bring to the forefront in a way that's effective. And I think that's the part of the job that a lot of people don't consider or really think about is that you have to consume so much bad information on a regular basis just to sift through it to see what's the stuff that would actually work. Hmm. That, that Wow, that's deep. I never truly thought about it that way. And I appreciate you taking the time. I know you got so many things happening. But before I let you get out of here, I got okay. a fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready to do this? Hit me, hit me. Okay, we talked about some of your favorite jokes you did at the Correspondence Dinner. But can you share a joke that never made it? Oh, <laughs> it's been a minute. I got to remember. I got to remember. Hang on. Let me try and find the file real quick. I'm going to try and find the file for you real quick. All right, the, the final was, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this one works. Ron DeSantis said he wants to make America Florida. America is already Earth's Florida, Ron. Oh. We have the most guns. Everybody wants to visit. And our entire foreign policy is stand your ground. A little too edgy. A little too edgy for that. ready for that. They weren't ready for that. Also, calling our foreign policy stand your ground suggests that our military doesn't do justifiable things to defend and respect the freedoms of this country and like actually liberate oppressed nations. And we couldn't figure out the way to fix that joke to make that point as well. So yeah, that's one that um, How yeah, about that one two? didn't make it. What city or town would you say have the best comedy crowds? Cleveland. Cleveland, Ohio, period. Cleveland! If I could perform Hell. in one city the rest of my life, it would be Cleveland. They come to laugh. The people are happy. You know, it's a lot of black love, a lot of white love in Cleveland too. Cleveland is, is dope because it's one of them cities where white people ain't scared of black folks. So they can kick. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying, right? Well, like, of course I do. Well, like, you just you just a white boy. You tough. Motherfucker. I'm tough, too. Exactly. Well, then let's laugh. And in a weird way, black people respect that because you ain't you ain't half stepping around us. So come on, sit down. next. So exactly. it's a jovial atmosphere at the comedy club. They're both clubs, improv and hilarities like that's that's probably the most fun I've ever had repeatedly trip after trip after trip is Cleveland, Ohio. And it's the, and it's a perfect comedy market because the city is just the right amount of sad. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, well, you, you need, you need comedy in a place where people are a little sad and, yep. the, and the Cleveland Browns keep them sad. Yes, they do. The guardians <laughs> keep them sad. Yes. The calves, they do do <laughs> but for the most part, you're sad. So you need that. That's why I always feel like comedy don't work well in like Miami. Like every time I go to Miami to club in a different location, I'm like, why y'all moving? Well, it didn't work over there. Yeah, because they happy. Yeah, it's too beautiful. The beach. (laughs) I got one for you. So you were at the White House when the Golden State Warriors won the championship. Yeah. You were talking to Draymond about a rule he would like to see change. Of course, he said technical foul. No text. Exactly. Draymond said, no text. Get rid no of text. 
What <laughs> NBA rule would you change? Uh, I think half court shots should be four points. Mm. Or at That's least from the logo. Down. At least the logo. They catch shooting those now. Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, Trey Young. They basically yeah. notes. Yeah, I think and I know a lot of people think it'll turn into MTV Rock and Jock or what Ice Cube and never been doing with the big three, but you shoot a shot from that far away, man. Come on, give me give me something. Extra point. Yeah. I like that. Put I agree. A little, yeah, put a little gravy on it for me, exactly. baby, please. Exactly. And last but certainly not least, and again, I appreciate you taking the time, my brother. Oh, oh, and in overtime, if you fouled out, you can come back in overtime, but only for one foul. I ain't mad at that. I ain't mad at that. Overtime only. I ain't mad at that. Yeah, if you fouled out during the game, like come I'm going to talk to the commissioner about that one. He's going to send you the voicemail on that rule. He ain't going <laughs> to like that one. <laughs> what can fans, lastly, what can fans expect when they go to one of your shows when you're on tour? Bro, I just want people to come out and laugh. We talking about everything. That's the other thing with my stand-up, man, is that I'm not rooted solely in politics. Like, it's weird because politics is how a lot of people know me. But I'm on stage talking about any and everything. I'm trying to get advice from the audience right now on trying to understand. You tell me what I should do on this. I got a partner that owed me $1,200. I got you. Okay. He died. Okay. That happens. He owed me $1,200. They do a GoFundMe for the funeral. Family raised $74,000. Now, a good funeral ain't but 10 G's, 15 if you love them. Am I fair in asking for my 1200? Nah, you got to charge it to the game. No, no. See, and that's and that's <laughs> the, and that's the conversation. stuff like that. That's what I'm talking about. You got to charge it to the game because it wasn't the, the family's debt, it was his debt. Okay. The the, the creditors ain't going to charge nothing to the game. They're going to put a lien up on his house. Everybody else, ain't nobody else charging it to the game. You think Visa and American Express gonna charge it? No. That that's a fair point. Okay, six hundred, six hundred, like debt settlement. Well, if, here's the thing: <laughs> if you know a couple of the family members, just be like, let me hold some. You know. Uh, <laughs> oh man, you're hilarious. I appreciate so yeah, you, man. brother. Thank you for I taking the time. Appreciate you having me, brother. That's Roy Wood. Junior, make sure you check out my brother. He's going to be on tour, as I mentioned, June through November. Happy to be here. I'll be there to support. I'll see you there. Hey, man. Thank you, OG. Thank you for having me, man. Last call. Last call. I'd like to thank Roy for stopping by the podcast. And make sure you check my brother out on tour through November. One thing that stuck out to me about Roy is how strongly he feels about giving back to the place that has given him so much, where he grew up. I feel the same way about my hometown of Detroit that Roy feels about Alabama. I understand the need to give back to the community that raised you. And more of us need to be reminded of our roots. Never forget where you came from. Rising up in the world doesn't mean we should forget our humble beginnings. Detroit will always be a part of me. 313, boss up. What up, dope? And I'm proud to be in a position to contribute 
to my city's future through the Jalen Rose Leadership Academy and more. So I ask you this, what city, state, or community is the place that you plan on giving back to? Wherever it is, just remember that place helped make you the person you are today and set you on your path to chase your dreams, your goals, and your greatness. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.